everybody, it's Rich. Welcome, or welcome back, to the Access Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where you'll find our complete Sunday experience with music, as well as great content for kids and students. Visit accesschurch.com to keep up with everything going on around here at Access, and subscribe to our email list. We'll send you helpful suggestions each week designed to help you make friends, grow in faith, and live with purpose. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Thank you so much for coming out on a cold and dreary and bleary day today. Um, just being here, you are doing so much to encourage the people around you. And I know that I've, I've had conversations with y'all. I know that doesn't make sense to many of you. Like, how is my presence here make a difference? But we all walk up the sidewalk on Sunday morning, kind of with that same thing going through our head. Like, am I the only person who needs this today? Am I the only person who needs to be reminded of these truths that I, I say I believe in? But during the week, sometimes I feel weak during the week. And I need to come and I need to be encouraged. And part of the way that I'm encouraged is to know that there are other people who are asking the same questions that I'm asking. Other people who are looking to God for the same strength that I need every week. And so when you show up here every week, you're actually such an encouragement to other people in the room because you're saying to them, even if you don't know them, if you've never met them, you're saying, I need this too. And together we're moving toward discovering and understanding God's incredible mystery of love toward us. And it is a mystery. And if you have been searching out this mystery for 10 years or 20 or 30, you will continue to search out this incredible mystery that is God's love toward us. And as we try to figure out what this looks like and how we respond in, in an age where science tells us that we should know everything and we should discover everything, and we shouldn't have any doubts or any uncertainty, sometimes it becomes a little bit difficult. It becomes difficult for us as we move toward a relationship with God because we have doubts. And, and this faith thing, sometimes it feels like, is this just putting faith in faith itself? Am, am I just putting my faith in, in like faith and pixie dust? Is this supposed to somehow feel magical to me? Am I supposed to wait for a certain feeling to come over me? Like, what does this mean to really discover and uncover faith? That's something that you perhaps have wrestled with. And as you walk up the sidewalk, I want you to know you are not alone, that you're in this room with other people who maybe have been following Jesus their entire lives, but we're still asking questions or we're still trying to discover who God is. And what does it mean that he loves us, that he knows you personally, that he has sought you out personally? And so we, we are beginning this series today called Investigating Jesus. Investigating Jesus, because we feel like we should go where the evidence leads us. We should follow the facts as we discover who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and what that means for you and I. And the reason this is so important is that for many of us, through our childhood, as, as we grew up, we were told, well, we should believe this because the Bible tells us so. The Bible tells us so with sort of the, the understanding that like, well, this is, it's in the Bible, and so you should read it, and you should know it, and then you should stop asking questions. Just do it right? I mean, honestly, that's the kind of the impression that a lot of us got growing up was don't worry so much about whether you understand it, just do it. Just behave properly. Just be moving along in the right direction with your doing. 
And that worked for a lot of us, honestly, growing up as kids. And maybe you're someone who's in church today because it's just a habit that you developed as you were young. But the reality is, as we get older, the Bible tells us so. It just doesn't it doesn't hold enough weight for many of us anymore. A lot of us say, am I really supposed to put all of my faith on this collection of ancient documents that was put together by men who lived hundreds and hundreds of years apart, and they lived in an era where everybody believed in a god or the gods who were trying to look at the weather patterns and, and discern if the weather patterns meant that the gods were angry with them or happy with them. In a world before what we consider today to be modern science, you know, 200 years from now, they'll look back on this day and they'll say, wow, they did crazy things in the name of science. Um, maybe in two years, they'll look back and say that. But we live in a world today where we say, we, we, we make decisions based on facts and we make decisions based on evidence and we make decisions based on science. And is it really enough for us to look back and to say, well, we believe because the Bible tells us so. And I want to tell you that the Christian faith has actually never hinged on this. The Christian faith has never depended on this one oversimplified phrase. It's, it's not a bad phrase if you're working with a kindergartner, right? But the reality is we, we kind of set something, sometimes we, we try to simplify things, and in the process of simplifying, we oversimplify and we take away some truth and we take some reality out of the equation when we oversimplify. And this statement, while it means well, has oversimplified what it means that we can have faith today, not in superstition, but we can have faith in actual events, that we can have faith in things that were recorded through history. And these historical events can actually influence and change our relationship with our creator God. And so if you're here today and you're someone who would say, you're just beginning to investigate faith, oh, I'm so glad you're here. This is a perfect series for you. I'm so glad that you're gonna walk with us through these next six weeks as we explore the book of Luke and what Luke had to say as he interviewed eyewitnesses, people who knew Jesus. And we're gonna uncover what the life of Jesus really meant, not just to us today, because that's important. But first, before we even get there, we've got to look at what did the life of Jesus mean to the people who witnessed the events, the people who lived in current time with Jesus and with his followers who, who saw these things. And, and these things were talked about around the dinner time table as, as current events. The same way that we talk about some of the crazy stuff that's going on in the world today, they would sit around at the dinner table and they would talk about, did you hear what Jesus of Nazareth did today? Did you hear what happened today in Galilee? Like this was the, the conversation of the day. And what did these events mean to the people of the day? And what does that mean for us today? Because the reality is that, that if the Christian faith balances precariously on the edge of ancient declarations or of superstitious men, then the question for you and I today is, why not walk away? Why not take the exit ramp? There's a popular phrase today, people talk about deconstructing their faith, which I think originally started as a good thing to sort of like strip away all the things that have gotten added on to our faith, all of the accessories that have been bolted on. And let's just like, let's just strip it away and let's just get down to Jesus. 
But some people have taken that a step further and they've meant, I'm going to deconstruct my faith to the point where I'm just going to strip away all the parts until there's absolutely nothing left. And the reality is that if your faith is just built on the phrase, the Bible tells us so, then there's no reason to not walk away. There's no reason to not strip it all away because how are we supposed to trust a document that's 2,000 years old, that's collected over hundreds of years, written by people who didn't understand science the way that we understand it today. And so that's why we're going to spend the next six weeks in this series called Investigating Jesus. And if you're someone who's here today who's new to faith or you're exploring faith, I'm so glad you're here. I think you're going to find this incredibly helpful. Believe it or not, a lot of the people around you, they won't admit this, they won't tell you this, but a lot of people around you, they've not actually read the book that we're going to talk about today. So that's part of our challenge today. We're going to talk about what it actually would be like to read for ourselves what the eyewitnesses of Jesus said instead of taking someone else's word for it. If you're someone who's been in church your whole life, and maybe you're like, I don't know, I'm walking away. Maybe your family and your friends don't even know that you're starting to walk away and you're starting to pull away. Maybe you've got your hand on the doorknob and you're ready to walk out the door and you're ready to leave faith. I'm so glad you're here today because before you leave, before you walk away, you owe it to yourself to look at the evidence and to decide where do the facts lead you? Where does the evidence take you as you begin to look at the facts around the life of Jesus? Because the reality is we don't have to shy away from this. Um, when you were a kid, you might've asked difficult questions and maybe your parents, you could just see it on their face, like the panic in their eyes when you asked your parents difficult questions and they're like, I'm not sure I'm equipped to handle this. And so your parents might've just said, well, the Bible tells us so. Or maybe you ask someone in church and, you know, it was like Sunday school and they're trying to like corral a bunch of kids and you're in elementary school and you ask a question and, and, and they're like, you know what, Johnny, we've got to be done in three minutes. So I don't, I don't have time to answer all the. And so some of these questions have maybe kind of stuck with you. I'm so glad that you're here today and you've brought your questions with you because we want to say here at Access Church that we're not a church that just wants to tell you what to think. We want to encourage you to explore faith on your own and to come with your questions and to bring your questions and to ask your questions. And by the way, just a little commercial for community groups. If you're not in a community group, this is one of the reasons that we're so excited about community groups here because Sunday mornings, we sit in rows and it's great for taking in information, but it's not great for dialogue. And so on Wednesday nights or Thursday nights or Tuesday nights, we provide opportunities for you to gather in a circle where you can actually ask questions. And some of y'all have shied away from being in a community group because you feel like, well, I don't know enough to sit in a circle. And if I sat in a circle and somebody actually asked me questions about the Bible, I would just freeze up. And I want to say to you, you are in good company at this church. You are surrounded by a bunch of people who don't know very much. All right? We are just a bunch of people. We're just a bunch of people who are trying to figure out what it looks like to take these things that we hear on Sunday morning and apply them in our lives through the week. And we would invite you to be a part of that group of people who are just asking questions together. Because the reality is we have never needed to shy away from the questions. We've never needed to shy away from the questions. Listen, what we believe in the Christian faith can hold up to the investigation. It can hold up 
It's held up for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, people have asked questions about the veracity of Scripture, about the legitimacy of Jesus. And you know what? After 2,000 years, it holds up. And that's what we're going to look at over the next six weeks, that you don't have to shy away from the questions. That in fact, our faith is investigable. Investigable. Now, this is a word that I don't really like because it doesn't sound right. I want to say investigatable but turns out that's not a word. So we're going to go with the word that's actually a word, investigable, and we are going to discover that our faith is investigable and we don't have to run away from it because at the heart of all of our questions, at the heart of all the questions that you have about the Bible and about faith and about God and all of this, it really, it really comes down to, are any of the accounts of the life of Jesus reliable? Not, not if all of them are even reliable. If just one of the accounts of the life of Jesus is reliable and trustworthy, then we've got to recognize that history changed when Jesus of Nazareth showed up on the scene. Because this question right here is the most important question that you can ask in your entire life. And, and this is not an exaggeration. I'm not trying to draw this out for effect. This is the single most important question you can address in your life. And that is, who is Jesus of Nazareth. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? And if we have been given reliable accounts, or, or even just one reliable account, if, if the book of Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples, Matthew was a follower of Jesus, he was a tax collector, Jesus came and he loved him in an incredible way, Matthew followed Jesus, he went everywhere with Jesus, he recorded what Jesus said and did. If just the book of Matthew can be found to be reliable, then our faith has a firm historical foundation. If just the book of John, John who described himself as Jesus' best friend, John who wrote down all the things that Jesus said and did and about the people that he loved and, and the ways that Jesus just showed so much grace to the people around him, the way that Jesus loved women and children and people that had been discarded in society and the way that he healed lepers and, and lame people and crippled people, the way that Jesus allowed a blind man to see again, if we... If we can just believe this one book, that John is credible, then that alone brings us to realize that Jesus of Nazareth changed history. He split the calendar in two and the world would never be the same. And perhaps your life and my life should never be the same. If Mark, who, who interviewed Peter or, or dictated on Peter's behalf, but if Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, if his words are reliable, if Peter's recollection of his stories with Jesus, if those are reliable, then that alone is evidence that we should take Jesus seriously. And, and, and here's the thing. We're going to look at the book of Luke over these next six weeks. Luke was not a follower of Jesus. He came onto the scene a little bit later. Luke was Greek or Roman, but his name is Greek and he comes from a Greek background. He was a doctor. He was a scientist of his day. He was analytical. We can tell that by the way he wrote, the way he recorded it, even the way that we're going to see in a few minutes, the way that he introduced his book is this very scientific, analytical way of approaching things. And if you read through the book of Luke, and I want you to read through the book of Luke with me in the next six weeks, as we read through the book of Luke, you will see that Luke came into it with a determination to follow the evidence wherever it led, to leave no stone unturned, to talk to people, to interview people, and to find out what is the true story behind the life of Jesus? And so that's where we're going today. That's the question that we're starting with in this series. Is Matthew or Mark or Luke 
or John a reliable account of actual events. And the reason that we don't often approach the Bible this way is because a lot of us, we were introduced to the Bible when we were young. And when you introduce someone to, uh, you know, anything really when they're young, you try to simplify it. Unfortunately, a lot of it got oversimplified, right? And so someone handed you a Bible. And right there was the first problem because they handed you a single book, a single volume with a single word that is its title. This is the Bible, which is honestly not an accurate way to introduce anyone to the Bible because the Bible isn't a book. The Bible is a collection of 66 ancient documents that span over dozens of writers over hundreds of years. And some of the book, and this is why some of us get a little confused when we try to read the Bible, because we read one book and it, and it sounds one way and we read a different book and it sounds really different. Well, that's because different people wrote it, sometimes centuries apart, with different intentions as to what they were trying to communicate. Some of the books are written as historical documents and some of the books are written as instructive for life. And some of the books are recording events that took place and some books are recording more along the lines of what God said and how his people responded and some of the emotion that's involved in that. I mean, there's, there's all different types of literature contained in the Bible. You have poetry, you have wisdom literature, you have prophecy, you have narratives, you have history. All of this is wrapped up in one book, 66 different documents. But that's kind of a lot to explain to a kindergartner. Wouldn't you agree? And so, you know, you just sort of hand them the Bible and you're like, this is the Bible. Now, the problem with that is, is that we begin to read the Bible, we don't really understand how the Bible came about. And so as we investigate Jesus, we're going to start with investigating the Bible a little bit this morning because it's important that we understand how we got the Bible. And this is a little, uh, little bit of a chart, a little bit of graph, a little bit of a drawing here to explain how we got the Bible, okay? And this is a, it's simplified, but hopefully not overly simplified. This is how we got the Bible. You see, we start here often and we work our way backward. But the reality is there was not a Bible until the fourth century, 300 years after Jesus lived. And, and this is where sometimes your college professors, they get a little bit of, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, these things, they came about hundreds of years later. Well, no, they were assembled hundreds of years later, okay? But we start here with an event. Our faith does not rest on the Bible. Our faith rests on an event. Do we read about this event in the Bible? Yes, we do. But we read about it not as a Bible story. This is the problem. You know, when you get a Bible as a kid and you read about, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, that was my favorite one. Or you read about Adam and Eve, or you read about Moses and he's leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and the Red Sea parts. And there's all these cool stories. And then we get to Jesus and Jesus is another Bible story. And we don't understand, you know, how centuries can affect the flow of history and the context and the geography that's different and all of that. But I'm telling you, you should understand all that and you should explore all that. There's a reason somebody put maps in the back of your Bible because they're actually really fun and they're really cool. Who else thinks maps are awesome? Do you have any map lover people? And aren't maps just amazing? I love maps. And some of you don't understand why maps are so exciting. And I don't, I don't know what to do with you people. 
But maps are awesome and they're in your Bible for a reason. But, you know, one of the classes I took in seminary, we had to take every one of the Old Testament stories and on a map with colored pencils, we had to draw out, like this is where the Israeli army came this way and then the Midianites came down this way. And we had to draw out all of it. And when you do that, you start to understand an appreciation that this is not just story time. There's a real geography here. There's a real place where all of this took place. And there's a real point in history. And, and this event right here, the resurrection, is the point at which our faith is anchored to this event. And so before we investigate, we need to ask ourselves the question, did this event really happen? And we're going to look at that over the next six weeks. Is there evidence? Do the facts lead us here that this event really happened? But this is how the Bible came about, okay? You should know this. An event happened. The event was the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, there were things he taught. Yes, there was a way he lived. Yes, there were people he healed. But that is not why he split the calendar in two. It wasn't his teaching. It wasn't his healings. It wasn't that he fed people. What split the calendar in two is that a tomb one Sunday was found empty. And that tomb is still empty today. And that is what split history in two. And that is the event which then led to a movement. Within weeks of the resurrection of Jesus, there were thousands of people who called themselves followers of the way. The way was this new way of living, which believed that Jesus Christ was the son of God, that he had come to pay the price for my sin and yours so that we could have a relationship with our heavenly father now and forevermore. And this belief in an event that had happened weeks before, not hundreds of years before, weeks before, this belief in this event is what split history in two and began a movement and this movement led to people documenting the events of the life of Jesus. Something so significant had happened that many people began to write down in a world where paper and ink was incredibly expensive and hard to come by. People began to document the events of the life of Jesus. And these documents have survived our antiquity. But these documents have been dated back to the earliest years after the life of Jesus. All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were all written within 25 to 30 years of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These were contemporaneous recordings while the eyewitnesses were still alive. And not just the eyewitnesses, but those who chose to not follow Jesus— had the opportunity to dispute the events that were called into question. So these are historical documents that were written contemporaneously to the eyewitnesses still being alive, to it still being conversation. Meanwhile, this movement is taking place and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are coming to put their faith in Jesus and to say, I believe that he rose from the dead. And by the way, every single one of Jesus' original followers went to death because they would not recant. But we miss this. We think they would not recant what they believed. We think that they would not recant what they were taught. They were not put to death because they wouldn't recant what they believed or what Jesus taught. They went to their death because they would not recant that they had seen their friend and their Lord crucified 
And then they had breakfast with him on the beach. They saw him risen from the dead. This is why they were put to death. Not because they believed that you should love your enemy. Not because they believed that you should pray for those who despitefully use you. Not because they believed that you should turn the other cheek. They didn't go to death because they believed in Jesus' teachings. They went to their death because they would not recant that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. So this event created a movement that was documented. And then, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, 300 years later, after the church had been persecuted by the Roman Empire for 300 years, the persecution of the church came to an end. Constantine became Caesar of Rome and the entire Roman Empire. And Constantine, who had been raised by a mother who was a follower of Jesus, he said, it's okay. You can come out from hiding and we can begin to put together these documents that have been in hiding for all of these years. And that is why today we have a Bible that was put together in 325 AD. But our faith did not begin in 325 AD. Our confidence in these events goes all the way back to those who witnessed these events. And so we're going to look over the next six weeks at just one of these accounts. We're going to look at the book of Luke. And I want you to join me in looking at the book of Luke. And there's a couple of ways that you can do this. Um, You may not know there's a really cool app that's available for your phone. If you go to the app store, um, look for an app that's simply called The Bible. And I realized, because I double-checked this last night, there are multiple apps now. I really think the best one is put out by Life Church. They put it out as a free resource years and years ago. It's a really cool story um, of the family that funded that whole project. But they, uh, through, uh, through, through a lot of people's incredible generosity, have made that available. Like, it is phenomenal today. Um, Stephanie and I, back in the 90s, we used to help smuggle Bibles into China. Now people in China can just download an app and they can read the Bible. It is phenomenal how the world has changed because the Bible is available to you. And listen, I'm going to get out of order here, but we're going to talk in a little bit about Diocletian, who was the emperor who decided to persecute the Christian people like they had never been persecuted. And part of his persecution was to burn all the Bibles. And Christians went to their death to protect the Bible. They went to their death because they would not reveal where these documents had been hidden and stored away. They went to their death so that you and I mm, could have this in our pocket today. It's incredible. And you and I are like, I don't know if I've got time for that today. I'm telling you, you've got time, okay? This is what it's going to take. For the next six weeks, we're going to read through the book of Luke together, and we're going to do it together. I'm going to nag you guys. I'm going to browbeat you guys. I'm going to get you on the bus with me, but we're going to read through the book of Luke together over the next six weeks. And here's how we're going to do it. It's going to take five minutes a day. Believe it or not, five minutes a day. If you read five minutes a day between now and Easter, you will have read the entire book of Luke before Easter. And so when I get up and I teach on Easter, you'll understand all the backstory because you'll have read the book of Luke. So I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and I want you to say to them, you have five minutes. Go ahead. You have five minutes. Turn and say, turn to your other neighbor, say, you have five minutes. You've got five minutes. 
You've got five minutes. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. Listen, if you've got a microwave, breakfast, whatever you've got to do, speed things up a little bit, but you can make this happen, okay? All right, here we go. Enough of me talking and getting all excited about this. Now we're going to actually read the book of Luke. And we're going to start really slow here. Some of y'all like to go verse by verse. We're going to go word by word, okay? So this is the first word of the first verse of the first chapter of the book of Luke. And it's a word that is important because it's just this simple word, many, many. Now, I, I don't know, you know, maybe you are a novelist, maybe you've written, you know, and you think, oh, the first sentence, it's really got to get people. It's really got to, you know, the first word is so important. The first sentence is so important you know, on a dark and stormy night, you know, or uh, it's, uh, it was the best of times. It was, oh, you guys are awesome. This is why I love preaching live in the room with y'all. And, and, you know, we, we say to ourselves like four score and See, the first word matters, right? It like immediately conjures something up. And this doesn't seem like that significant of a first word, but it is important because he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account. Many have undertaken to draw up an account. Now, this is a really big deal. And we run just right past this because we live in the 21st century where everybody can be an author. In fact, you just download this little app called X and, you know, don't do it. Just don't. Delete it from your phone, okay? It's, it, but if you wanted to, you could just like put out everything that comes to your little mind and the whole world can see it, right? And so we think that it's always been like that, but it hasn't. In the first century, if you wanted to be an author, if you wanted to write something that other people would read, you would have to get a hold of papyrus and you would have to get a hold of ink. And these were very limited resources. In fact, if you were going to be a writer in the first century, you probably needed to have a sponsor because people then, crazy thought, they actually had to work if they were going to eat. Pause on that for a moment. They had to work if they were going to eat. And so you couldn't just be like, I'm a writer. You know, someone had to pay for you to eat while you took some time away from working so that you could actually write. Nobody got paid for their books. This wasn't a way to actually make a living. This is a way to document historical certainties. And so a part of this also meant that who did people write about? The big, the famous, the important, right? Nobody, nobody wrote about just anybody. Nobody, pardon me, but very few people just like wrote their feelings down. This was a world where papyrus was hard to come by. Ink was hard to come by. So writing was a big deal. So the fact that many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. This is a really important word. Us. Like now, not them that lived a long time ago. Us right now. So, so Luke is writing this. Now let me ask you a question. How many people do you think, after you're gone, will take time to sit down and write an account of your life? I know the answer. Not many, right? Not many. Not many. After our grandchildren, honestly, what, is the, what are the chances that after our grand, what do you know about your great-grandparents? Probably not much, right? And so the reality is, when, when Luke starts this off, and Luke says that many people have already taken to write an account of the things that were witnessed among us, many have done this. We should pay attention, like, why so many? Why are so many writing down the events of the life of Jesus? Why would so many people care about this? Because the reality is, do you know how many records we have of the other people of that time? Almost nothing. 
So Tiberius was Caesar during the time of Jesus. Do you know what we have about his life? Almost nothing. We've got a couple of quotes here and there. Nobody recorded the events of Tiberius Caesar's life. Think about that. He was Caesar of the entire known world at the time. And no one recorded his life. Do you know how many records that we have of Jewish peasants from that era? Jewish carpenters? Criminals crucified by Rome? Even rabbis, famous rabbis, who were people of the book, students of the book. We have some quotes. We have some of their thoughts on the Torah, but we do not have an account of their lives. Like we should just really stop and think about the fact that the fact that there are many accounts of the life of Jesus, and how many is many? I don't know, we have four, but that doesn't feel like many. And in fact, when Luke wrote this, John hadn't even written his yet. So at best, there were two accounts that were written before he wrote the book of Luke. So when he says many have, I don't think he was saying two. I think he was saying there were 20 or 30 or 40 or I don't know, but a lot of people had, why? Because something extraordinary had happened. And it wasn't just something that extraordinary had happened in Jerusalem. It was something that extraordinary that happened for the world. And it wasn't just something that extraordinary that happened for the world for that generation, but for all time, something that would change the calendar. Something that later people would come back and say, this is where we split the calendar. That all these things happened before Jesus and all these things happened after Jesus. Because something significant had happened. And it wasn't just significant for the world, it was good. Something good had happened. Something good had happened for the world. And it was worth writing down. It was worth recording. And it's worth you and I reading it today and allowing it to influence what we understand about Jesus and how we live. So many had undertaken to draw up an account of the things that had been fulfilled among us. Again, he's saying right now, right here among us, just as they were handed down, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first, it's going to show up here any second. There we go by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So this is, this is really important. This is eyewitness testimony. Again, I said Luke came onto the scene a little bit later, but Luke set about to turn over all the stones and to find out what had people seen? What had they witnessed? And he talked to John. He talked to Peter. He talked to Mary. He, he talked to the people who were right up close and saw these events take place. And this is what he says. He says, with this in mind, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated, I've carefully investigated. In other words, the, the word there means I have followed the evidence. I love it. It's the, same, it's the same phrasing. It's the same word that we would use there if we were doing a criminal investigation. And you were not an eyewitness to the event itself, but you were able to interview eyewitnesses and you were able to look at the forensic evidence and you were able to work your way backward and say, what happened? Was there an event that took place that began a chain of events? It's that same kind of language. I'm going to follow the evidence. 
everything from the beginning. In other words, from the beginning. Luke, you know, Luke is, we read Luke every Christmas Eve. It's Luke chapter two that we read every Christmas Eve. Charlie Brown reads it every Christmas Eve. We come out here and Luke, because Luke goes all the way back to the birth of Jesus and the birth of John the Baptist. And he says, I want to start at the very beginning of the story and work our way forward. And so Luke says, I too decided, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Orderly literally means in this case, an ordered account, a chronological account. In other words, up to that point, there were probably bits and pieces where people had like written down, wow, I saw Jesus. You know, I was in this village and Jesus came into my village and I saw this, but then Jesus left. And so they've got a part of the story. But, but, but Luke says, I'm going to come along and I'm going to take all the different parts of the stories and I'm going to put them in chronological order and I'm going to make it so that you can understand this. And he's got a specific audience. But Luke's account of the life of Jesus, you need to understand this. It was written 300 years before the Bible was assembled. And so there were, now they had, they had literature that had been written. It just hadn't been all put together. It hadn't all been assembled. And so Luke is like, hey, over here, we've got a piece of the story. And over here, we've got a piece of the story. But I'm going to attempt to put it all together. And I don't think Luke ever thought he was writing the Bible. I don't know that Luke was like, I'm going to write something. And 2,000 years from now, people are going to carry it around in their pocket. And it's going to be a really cool app on their phone. I don't think that that was going through his mind. I think he was just like, this needs to be documented. And he had a very specific audience in mind we're going to look at in just a minute. But Luke's account of the life of Jesus, it was included in the Bible. And this is really important. This is, this is a big point for today. It was included in the Bible because Luke's account was considered reliable when it was written. I'm going to pause here for a moment because this is the one thing I want you to take away from today. We don't have this story or we don't believe in this story. We don't believe in the veracity of the stories recorded in the book of Luke because they're in the Bible, okay? That's not where they get their trustworthiness. They were placed in the Bible because the people who lived during that time, the people who, for whom these were current events, they saw the book of Luke as a trustworthy recording of things that actually happened. And so they put it in the Bible because it was reliable and trustworthy. Does this make sense? Let me give you an illustration. You're traveling, you're in a hotel room, and you decide you're going to go out to dinner. I never use the safe in the room, but I, maybe you do. So we'll just use this as an example. So you're going to go out to dinner and you've got, I don't know, your watch, your iPad, your wallet. You got a few things that you want to put in the safe. Okay. This is not a trick question. Do you put them in the safe because they are valuable? Or do you put them in the safe to make them valuable? In other words, did you pick something up and you're like, hey, this is, you know, a piece of gum wrapper. I'll put this in the safe and then it will be valuable. That's not how it works, right? We put things in the safe because they are valuable already. This is how the collection of documents happened in 325 AD. The, the 
Books were put into the Bible because the original eyewitnesses held these up and said, these are valuable and we're going to protect these copies and we're going to give our lives to protect these copies. And so the question that you and I have today is, was Luke lying? It really just boils down to this. Luke's not mistaken. You can't be mistaken. You can be mistaken about a particular event or a conversation, but you cannot be mistaken about the entire story arc of someone's life. And the fact that they were crucified and rose again from the dead. And that when Luke is writing this, he's saying, hey, you can go see the tomb. It is still empty today. You can't be mistaken about that. So the question is, is Luke lying? Or do we believe Luke when he says, and there's no reason not to believe him when he says, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And so I too decided to write. I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus, also Greek, kind of come into this story a little bit late, and Luke and Theophilus are like, man, there's all this stuff that everybody's talking about. I feel like there's part of the story I don't know. They're referencing John the Baptist. I don't know who John the Baptist is. And so Theophilus was the sponsor who paid the way for Luke to take the time and the travel resources to travel around Jerusalem, to travel with Paul on a couple of his missionary journeys, to eyewitness all of these events that are taking place and to record them for all of us, thankfully, but originally for Theophilus, to say, this is so that you can have faith. And he says this, this is so great. He says, so that, this is the important why he recorded it, so that you may know the certainty of the things or the events that you have been taught. Your faith doesn't have to be faith in faith. Faith doesn't have to be faith in pixie dust. It doesn't have to be something where you just say, you know, you positive energy and, and cross your fingers and hope for the best. This is not superstition. This all began with an event. And it was an event that created a movement. And that movement then was documented by people who lived currently in that time and they recorded and they said, these are the things that took place and we're going to eventually, 300 years later, they will be put together in a book called the Bible and handed to you and I. And we get to carry it around on our phones. So listen, if you are stepping away from faith, if you're not sure that you're willing to commit to Jesus any longer, I, I, I get that. There's, there's some reasons that you might consider stepping away from faith in Jesus, but not because it's not trustworthy, but maybe because it's, it's inconvenient. In fact, if you choose not to follow Jesus because it's inconvenient, then I get that. I understand that. Because following Jesus is, it's more than inconvenient. Honestly, believing in Jesus will cost you nothing. But following Jesus, it could cost you everything. It, it will cost you in your time. It'll cost you in your energy. It might cost you in relationships. It will definitely cost you in your finances. You, following Jesus is expensive. And maybe you've decided you're not with that. And so you begin to move away from Jesus. And, and I would say, let's have a conversation around that. Because I would love to tell you that I think it's worth every penny. It's worth the investment of your time and your energy and your relationship. All the things that you might have to give up to follow Jesus, 
It's worth it. But let's have a conversation around that. Because that is the, that's the crux of the matter. That's what you need to come to to decide. Am I going to follow Jesus or not? It's not about, is the story of Jesus reliable? Because the reason is, the story of Jesus is incredibly reliable. So please don't choose not to follow Jesus because you don't think there's anything to the story of Jesus. And join with us over the next six weeks and give five minutes, just five minutes a day, and read through the book of Luke. So start today, super easy. Um, some people joke because I set alarms on my phone for everything all the time. Like I have an alarm that tells me, you know, I got to take the trash down on Monday night. I got an alarm that tells me I'm recycling. I forget things without alarms. And so alarms are a wonderful gift to me. Put an alarm on your phone every single day, five minutes, five minutes. Just spend five minutes with your cup of coffee or your cup of tea or whatever gets you going in the morning and, and begin to read through the book of Luke. And we'll read through this together and we will investigate together the story of Jesus. And if there's something there that is worth putting our hope and our faith in. Because what's absolutely incredible is that when Constantine finally became emperor of Rome, the government of Rome that had crucified Jesus 300 years before became the ones to pay for the printing of the first 50 copies of what we now call the Bible. How did that happen? Because a group of people believed what Jesus said, believed what Jesus taught, believed that he had risen from the dead, and they were willing to live in such a way as to change the world around them. And it changed their world. And if we are willing to live that way today, we can change our world. So here's a few questions for the ride home. Have you ever felt compelled to document the life of someone you knew? Why or why not? As it relates to faith, have you ever experienced a season of doubt? And if so, what did you doubt and why? And finally, what's your initial response to the suggestion that the Christian faith rises or falls on the reliability of the Gospels rather than the reliability of the entire Bible? Good questions for the ride home or for your community group. Thank you so much for being here today. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your incredible love and um, your grace toward us. There's so much here in this. There's so much in even just these first few verses to tell us why Luke wrote this down for us. And I just pray that as we read through this over the next few weeks, that we would allow these events, these stories, these truths, to change us, and that as you change us, we would be agents of change in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our place of work, with our family members, that we would be different because you change us from the inside out. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.